Welcome to Blind Spots, a podcast where we're helping you fill the gap between what you want to do with your money and what you actually do. We are professional investors, writers, and financial planners helping you navigate the complexities of finance to optimize what you can control and cut out the rest. Join your host, Nick Shermans and Aaron Varghese, as we discuss the questions and nuances surrounding everyday money management. Okay, we're back with another episode of Blind Spots. We're changing it up this week. We have Toby Weber, who's a partner at Pure, investor extraordinaire, really good financial planner, and he's an aspiring golfer. He's getting better at golf. He just bought all new stuff, was in Ireland. Uh, What a great trip and what a great lifestyle. But Toby's on board. I don't know what we're going to talk about. We're going to make this investment-focused, markets-focused. This is good because Toby and I think a little bit differently about economics and financial markets. So this is good to get his perspective and get him in front of the camera. So Toby, welcome. Thanks, Nick. Good to be back and looking forward to our discussion today. What do you got for me? All right. The first item, we'll start with a softball. What uh, topics are top of mind for you? What have you been reading? What's kind of stuck in your craw? What's uh, nagging at you today? Okay, let's let's go one at a time because that's a lot. So the first one, what have I been reading? I'm reading a book called 4,000 Weeks. And it basically says that the way we think about time management, the way we think about time is completely broken. We try to be everything to everyone and be in multiple places at once. I call it the rat race. And I always tell my wife, I don't want my weekends to be busier than my work week. So just gaining more control of your life through intention and letting go of time and just living more in the moment, saying no more, doing less, but more thoughtful, something that's very important to me. Uh, So I just finished uh, a book called Die With Zero, which talks about experiences over possessions, experience over hoarding money and saving all your money till you're 85 years old and you can't really move around anymore, but you got this big pile of cash and there's an arc for everybody. There's an arc for everyone where money becomes less important. It's a different age for everybody, but at some point money will become less important and experiences, family, friends, relationships, all of that become health become way more important. So that's what I'm reading. How about you? Uh, I'm reading a book about, uh, Paramount Pictures, Summer Redstone, about the kind of boardroom uh, fight that went on in that company. It's interesting. It's kind of a quick summer read. So enjoying that. What's the one thing that you miss about corporate America and one thing that you do not miss at all? One thing I miss about corporate America is is the people I got to work with. I had the great fortune of working with uh, a lot of good people, people that I still our friends with today, people that are, some of those folks are clients today. So I miss the people. Uh, one thing I don't miss about the corporate world is that much of the work that you do, you have a hard time seeing the value and who's benefiting from that type of work. Um, you're doing the work because, hey, we've always done it. We've done it that way forever, but you'd have a hard time stopping and saying, who's getting any value out of this work? Uh, the work I get to do today, I don't have that problem at all. I can see the benefit that I'm having in people's lives and when we when we look to help them with financial planning or to manage their investments. So that's uh, been a huge improvement uh, in the wealth management business. So right, I can you tell for- you what I, I tell you what I miss and don't miss about corporate America, but yeah. I'd go on a go 30 minute rant. No, 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 I'd go. I, I can't control myself. I, I 
I'd launch into a rant and I'm trying to be less rantish. So I'm, I'm not even going to go there. Okay. Next question I had for you. I've been reading different articles about buffered ETFs where you invest and they cap your upside and they cap your downside. And I wondered what you thought about those and whether you think those are appropriate for some people in certain situations or if those are a stay away from your perspective. So th this premise of a buffered anything is nothing new. It's just in a different wrapper. So pre-2023, this was called a structured note, and it was a way for Wall Street and advisors to sell stuff with a very large commission attached to it. So anytime your broker calls you and wants you to do something that's kind of off the beaten path, it's probably not so good for you, and it's probably good for the broker. So structured notes have been around as old as time. Now they're just in a different wrapper. They're in an ETF wrapper. And it's no surprise those ETFs cost like 20 times more than a normal ETF. So again, these new wrappers, these fancy products are really just another way to separate you from your hard-earned money. And I would say, to wrap this up, negative outcomes are part of being an equity investor. Like if you're looking to cap the downside or cap the upside, you probably shouldn't be invested in equities or at least not 100% equity. So I would say get checked in with reality and, and understand in order to get the up market, the eight, nine, 10% a year, you have to have an occasional down year. And by buffering or doing whatever, it's just, it's just masquerading uh, as a equity investor, as a risk-seeking investor, but you're really not. You want to ask one? You want to take a spin at the wheel? Or I can ask another one and you can think about it. I, I can ask you a question. I could ask you about, I mean, you sent me an article about the consumer and how the consumer is in not in good shape. And I plan on writing about this. This is something that I've been tracking for a while. And I think it's important to talk about the consumer because so goes the consumer, so goes the U.S. economy. So what's your general feeling about the consumer with the lens that we just got a, I call it clickbait, but a trillion dollars in credit card debt. And I think that, there's nuance to everything, but let, let's just get your perspective on the consumer. Yeah, it's a tough one. And, and I read a lot of different, uh, different views on it. Some say, uh, historically, these numbers are nothing to be worried about. Uh, the value of everything has grown. Therefore, of course, credit card balances are going to be higher. Um, but I, I would tend to say there is some truth to the idea that there's a certain segment of the population that is struggling financially. Mm -hmm. uh, inflation hits those people harder than it hits uh, people with more means. Um, so I think there is some reality in that uh, in those numbers that we're starting to see a little bit of strain in a certain subset of the consumer. Uh, that being said, I think there's a large subset of the population that has plenty of liquidity, plenty of wherewithal, has made a ton of money over the last several years, and those people continue to spend. We see hotels, airlines, Airbnb delivering you know, impressive demand numbers. So clearly people are still out there doing things, traveling, experiencing things. But I do think there's a subset of the population that is starting to feel the strain or feeling the strain to a greater extent. And that's what you're starting to see show up in some of these numbers. So I, I read all the consumer data very closely and the New York Fed, I believe is the central bank or the regional central bank that publishes the consumer report. And two things really jumped out at me that I, I just cannot believe. So it's no secret rates have gone up. 
borrowing costs have gone up. The volume of auto loans is the same today as it was when auto loan rates were at 3%. I find that fascinating. And there, there was another stat that the percentage of auto loan payments over $1,000 has gone parabolic. So, so people are still buying these new fancy expensive cars so they, they may or may not be able to afford. Borrowing costs that have tripled haven't slowed them down. Like that probably doesn't end well. That, that's an area that, that's concerning to me. The, the other area is, you know, this credit card debt, a trillion dollars, okay? When you look at the ratio of deposits, so cash people have in their bank versus credit card debt, that ratio is still pretty high. Or like if you flip it, credit card debt relative to deposit, that's, that, that would be low. It means people have money to cover their credit card balance. Who, who in the hell is not paying this off unless the data is kind of messy? Like I carry a balance, but I pay it off, right? Mm -hmm. So maybe it's not capturing one-to-one. -one, but if you have a credit card balance paying 28% in interest every year annualized, and you have cash in the bank to pay it off and you're not paying it off, that's that's doesn't make any sense to me. So overall, on the consumer, are you thinking we should be concerned about the trajectory there? Or nope, it's business as usual and, and we shouldn't have any concern there? I don't think anything is, is black and white in finance. So I, I pay attention to the trend, the rate of change. How, how quickly are things getting better? How quickly are things getting worse? Also, the absolute level. So if you look at a lot of these debt, uh, consumer debt levels, they're, they're below what they were pre-pandemic, pre right? So yeah, yeah, it's concerning when people are carrying balances and borrowing costs have gone up. I mean, we, we are a indebted, levered economy from the government to the state level to the household level. So I think... You, you have to pay attention because, again, 70% of our GDP comes from you and I going out and buying stuff. And when people are tapped out, when their savings rate goes down, when their savings goes down, when credit card balances go up and late payments and, and delinquencies start to be a thing, which they're starting to trend up, that's when you uh, could have some cause for concern because all of that flows into corporate earnings and corporate earnings affect stock prices. So. You know, you try to read the tea leaves, but again, it's been really hard to predict. I mean, this has been the most difficult cycle in my career, and uh, those that have proclaimed what happens next have swung and missed, and it hasn't even been close. So I'm, I'm, I'm watching it, but I don't know how this all plays out. From a workplace safety issue, can you close the drawer behind you? Yeah, I could uh, stumble back and break my neck. That's how 41-year-olds get hurt. It's not playing basketball. It's like doing gardening. Right. Well, that's a good a good segue. You mentioned corporate earnings. Uh, I've got another question I wanted to get your take on. How do you think about corporate earnings in the context of the market? I know we're not making buy-sell decisions at the individual stock level, but do you look at the overall trend of corporate earnings and, and glean anything from that, or it is what it is? And, and the reason why it's top of mind uh, for me these days is we've seen the market uh, move up higher this year, 15, 20%. And corporate earnings are, you know, call it uh, flat to up a couple of percent. So either, in my thinking, either we've got to see corporate earnings start to accelerate and catch up, or, um, you know, maybe perhaps the market's a little bit ahead of itself, you know, where we're at today. How do you, how do you look at that? There's two things I care about it, with corporate earnings. One is expectations. Every market movement is a function of expectations. And historically, I have nothing to say about this last cycle, but historically, when analyst earnings expectations are low, that leads to better post earnings or live earnings performance, meaning 
if someone's earnings are crappy, but they're less crappy than everyone expected, the stock usually goes up. Okay. So, so it's not even, it doesn't matter what they say. It's all relative to expectations. All right. And this particular earnings season, expectations were a little bit lower. Okay. Markets have been a little mixed during this earnings season. You know, the end of July, it really started. Uh, we're still kind of in the eighth inning of earnings seasons and, and nothing's really happened, but I, I feel like if expectations go up, we're more prone to being disappointed and, and you might see market action go down. Uh, the, the other thing that I pay attention to, and I used to do this in a previous life every day, I was an analyst uh, and we had a, like an individual equity strategy of like 50 companies. So I'd listen to every earnings call. You know, I didn't really, like you don't really glean anything from the income statement or the balance sheet. That's, that's widely known information. The gold is in what the CEO the CFO says in the notes embedded in the footnotes at the bottom of the of the earnings report. So I, I occasionally will will check in on that, especially for businesses that tend to be a canary in a coal mine for the broader economy. Think FedEx or UPS. Like I always dig through those. Banks are another one. We just talked about the consumer. Big tech. You can't really ignore that. So that's what I'm interested uh, in. I don't really get too caught up in anything else. Uh, last question I had for you. Uh, we've seen some of these larger union negotiations. UPS drivers just signed a deal where they're going to be making, you know, significantly more, 40, 50% higher over the next five years. Um, how do you interpret those? Do those give you pause when it comes to inflation? You know, how, how do you view those? Or those are just, you know, um, par for the course and, and we're going to see those, you know, throughout time. I, like I did see that that just came out today, right? Uh, the last couple of days, yeah. Okay. I mean, it's it's good for those drivers. I bet a lot of people are going to try to work for UPS. Um, you know, the Fed. You know, if that was a trend, like if that was an emerging trend, and I know unions. I'm not up on my union game, but I know they're not as prominent as they probably once were. Mm -hmm. But wages is something that the Fed is very closely watching, and that di dictates some of their monetary policy. So. Yeah, sure. I pay attention, but for a one-off company, unions are not dying, but they're, they're less prominent now than they were in the '70s or '80s or even '60s. Uh, it's it's kind of an afterthought. But again, good for those good for those drivers. I know they work hard. I know they. It's tough probably in the summer. I know they whiz by my house, and a lot of them are pouring sweat. But uh, that's that's a nice package for the next couple of years. Well, they're usually stopping at your house, aren't they? Well, I don't know. I. Online shopping, like you can buy stuff from your phone, like that's that's a little dangerous. You got like I've deleted all, most of my apps for that, but my wife still buys stuff for the kids and all that. Uh, tell me something that you have going on this summer, or something that you've done that you really enjoyed with the family away from the office. I know we try to use summer. Obviously, we got to stay on top of everything here, but we also use it as a time to connect with family and and spend some time outside the office. We've gone to the beach for 4th of July. We've gone to Central Oregon together. So I guess I'm saying I like the family trips where we can disconnect and be outside and enjoy each other's company and not think about the rat race, as I call it. So just, just spending time. I mean, my kids are getting older. It's a blink. My oldest is nine now. She turns 10 this fall. And so my job is to just be present and parent them as best as I can until they're 13 and they won't listen to a word I said. And I, I better hope I did a good job. So, you know, it was also cool. I had my kids, I had my girls in the office a couple of weeks ago because they're hounding me, daddy, we want to come to the office. And I was telling them, Hey, this isn't, this isn't Disneyland. They're like we're actually working and there's not, 
not a kid-friendly office. There, there's not stuff for you to do. Uh, and I woke them up at 5.45, and they were a little groggy, and they got the full experience. But in my opinion, they won't be clamoring to come back. But it's good for them to see what Daddy does every day. How about yeah, you? I was gonna, oh, go well, ahead. I was going to do a shout-out to our, our newest interns, Reese and Remy uh, Shermans. As you mentioned, they were in the office. It was great to meet them and and uh, exciting to have them be our newest interns at nine and six years old. So. So, like, I'll, I'll ask you the same question, but but I want to get your take on, why don't you just mention maybe one or two things that concern you with today's market and maybe one or two things that you might be optimistic about? It might be hard for you to do the latter. No, I, I'm as optimistic as they come. I think I'm I'm optimistic. I will always be optimistic about U.S. innovation, ingenuity, uh, our ability to come up with a better mousetrap, ways to uh, create productivity, ways to create value. So that's always something that I'm optimistic about. AI is a good example of that. AI has been around for a long time, but has gotten a lot of airtime this year. And some of the things that we've seen with the chat GPT and some of those tools are are very exciting. Now, how that plays out and who the winners or losers are in that space still to be determined uh but that's a an area that i'm you know optimistic about the potential there from a productivity standpoint um an area that maybe i'm more concerned about we we talked about corporate earnings i'd like to see corporate earnings pick up and and accelerate because right now the market just keeps getting more expensive and and that typically doesn't end well when the market gets overly expensive um timing you know can be anything but when a market is expensive, that's typically not positive for future returns. And the other area probably would just be inflation. I, I love to see the trend we've seen with inflation dropping from eight, nine percent down to three percent. We'll get another CPI report tomorrow. And there's some concern that maybe that report starts to show uh, a trend going the other way. Um, so I just have concerns there. We've seen energy prices, gas prices start to pick up a little bit. And I think if that were to continue, um, that has ramifications with the Fed. The Fed may not be so quick to end their hiking campaign if they see inflation potentially, you know, reaccelerating or reigniting. So that's an area that I'm a little bit concerned about, but we'll see how the data plays out in the coming, you know, weeks and months. That's fair. You know, one thing on the valuation side, I think traditional metrics, and I think I might have mentioned this before, but back in the... 60s, 70s, and 80s, when we made more stuff, I find it's easier to value a company, right? It's much more straightforward and simplistic. Now, like, how do you value uh, the potential for cloud computing or AI or anything emerging like that? There's, there's so much intangible value and in intellectual property these days. I'm just hesitant to use, and I'm not saying you're doing this, but just using traditional metrics to value a stock or an index. Uh, and you know, you look at, you know, the past decade markets, us equity spent the better part of a dec decade, technically overvalued. So I think while it's a tool, it's just one tool in the set of many tools And the modern investor has to adjust and adapt because I've had people say to me, oh, I can't own Amazon at 80 times earnings. It's like, well, Amazon was, was probably more frothy than that over the last 10 years. And it's been an absolute juggernaut. So Again, there's no black and white, fast and hard rules in investing. It's a lot of it is nuance. 
Yep, I think that's that's well said. And and valuation as a timing tool has historically been awful. So right. I think that's a fair point. What about like when you read my blog? So you read my blog, don't you? Like you read like Toby has zero in. No one tells me what to write. That's one of the best things about leaving corporate America is I can actually be a competitive thinker and share my thoughts with the world. But are, like, is there sometimes you read my blog and it's like, man, he's off his rocker. Or he's railing against the wrong thing or what an idiot. You, you do a blog. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, I, I, I always enjoy reading your blog. It gives me an idea what's you're thinking about what you're reading. What's interesting to you. Um, doesn't mean I have to agree with everything you put in there. I think that's one of the things that makes uh, our partnership successful is that we don't always agree or see the world in exactly the same way, but I think that's a positive thing. So no, I think more often than not, I, I appreciate everything you write and I think our clients do as well. Do you feel like the average person on the street thinks things get better or things get worse in the broader economy and financial markets? Generally or right now? Right now, like, so think about your closest 10 family members or friends. Like if you ask them, are markets going to be higher a year from now? Is the economy going to be, be in a recession or is it going to grow a year from now? Like what's, what's your thoughts on what they would say? Yeah, I don't think if I looked at, at my folks, I don't think that they invest a lot of time or energy thinking about that. I think they've hired us to, to look after their portfolio uh, I think a subset of my clients definitely uh, looks at the market and is concerned, but then you have a lot of folks that are, Hey, I want to put more money in the market, more money in AI, more money here, more money there because they see the potential upside. So I don't, I don't think there's a overriding overarching, you know, Hey, the sky is falling type of a, a viewpoint or that, Hey, there's no possibility that we can go down from here. Obviously when I talk to, to my clients, we try to keep a balanced perspective. So we've certainly enjoyed the 15, 20% improvement in the stock market this year. Uh, it certainly feels a lot better than it did last year. Uh, but I think everybody realizes that we're gonna have good years, we're gonna have not so good years, and we just have to manage and stay focused on the, our objectives you know, year in and year out. Toby said our, or my clients, but he means our clients. So, so we of do course. work in teams at Pure, so there's no, my book and your clients and my clients, it's our clients. There's no I in team. That's correct. Sure. Sure. Okay. Well, that's pretty much, we're running up on 25 minutes. I don't want to bore people or go on a rant. Um, so is there any last recalls, anything that we missed that you'd like to cover? Uh, I don't have anything. Um, you, I was going to answer the same question you did oh, about yeah. summer. Fun stuff and... to do in this summer, Toby. Yeah. We've, uh, we've had a number of trips as well, but to your point, it's just about, you know, I'm older than you. My kids are older than yours. Mm. And so I've gone through the age that you're at. And what you realize, and everybody will tell you this, enjoy the time that you have with them while they're young. Uh, because when they get older, you get less time with them, you less of their attention, less of their focus. All that means in my case is that I enjoy it more when we get together with our family, because it's, you know, not an everyday occurrence. So we try to do weekly dinners with the family and get all the kids that have moved out and meet us. And, and that's our way that we try to stay connected with our kids, whether they're living with us or not. What age 
do kids become embarrassed by their dad or embarrassed by being seen with their parents? Because I think I'm I'm rounding third base on that age. Yeah, I think I'd like to think that it's uh, 16, 17, 18, <laughs> but I wouldn't be shocked if you interviewed my kids if if it was had already happened and my youngest is 13. So I think there's a, definitely an element of of dad embarrassment going on in my place. So my kid, the quick story, then we'll wrap it up. My kids or my whole family and I went to a music concert. So the city of Vancouver has these outdoor concerts and there's cover bands. They're playing like Fleetwood Mac. It's great. There's a, there's a pit in front where there's dancing and my girls and my son were up on stage and dancing around. So they came back to get a drink of water and I'm like, Hey girls, can daddy go up there and dance crazy with you? And they're like, Oh my gosh, no, that's embarrassing. Dad, don't do it. And I'm like, really? We're there. You're, you're nine and six and you don't want your dad to dance with you. So that's why I asked that question. It's a fair question. Fair question. All right. Well, we hope you enjoyed this episode of Blind Spots. If there's any investment topic that you would like us to cover, feel free to let us know insight at peerportfolios.com. And we'll try to do this once a month. That's our goal to get Toby and I talking about markets, economic topics, anything that you all want to hear about in an informal setting. So thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next episode.